here's the deal. I love to laugh and I have a huge amount of respect for stand-up comics. I'm a big fan from way back. Whether it was Carlin or Richard Pryor, I was I came up in the 80s and 90s with Eddie Murphy when he put out Delirious and Raw. I'm a huge fan of Andrew Dice Clay. There's so many, um, you know, my favorite comedian current day is Bill Burr, and we actually talk about Mr. Bill Burr on this podcast. Rocky Dell Davis is a comedian, a stand-up comic that's had a ton of success, and now he is growing out of control right now. He's from the state of Alabama. He's as redneck and country as heck. I love this dude. I love his stand-up. He's witty and clever as heck. I love when he gets in it with the audience and uh, and just starts to take him to school. He's one of a kind, our good friend Rocky Dell Davis. We have a blast right here sharing a highball of some Jack Daniels. This is Jack Daniels Presents This Life Ain't For Everybody, Mr. Rocky Dell Davis. I hope you all enjoy this. Yeah, you can't say white trash anymore. It's a bad word now. I almost got banned off Instagram for saying the word white trash. I was flagged for hate speech. <laughs> Me, but like, dude, my dad met his now wife while she was in prison, while he was visiting his daughter, who was also in prison, for identity theft against his other daughter. White trash is my word, bitch, okay? <laughs> like, I earned it, dude. Dude, my name is Rocky Dale Davis Jr. I have Dale Jr. in my fucking name. Like, I've worked for this, all right? If I can't say it, no one can say it. We were, we were uh, in the infield, and I got back yesterday, and I was with my buddy Bobby Johnson that runs all these properties for Barrett Hobbs, like this right. one in, the, in the, the scoreboard, the palace, and a bunch of them on Broadway. And I said, man people from Alabama party. I said, there was a lot of people that come from out of Alabama to watch Dega, but all the people that I was hanging with were from Alabama. They were all, they were all, you know, born and raised in Alabama. And, uh, I mean, every single one of them, like, man, this is my third drunk today. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? He's like, I had to get two naps, and I'm starting on my third one. Now. Yeah. I'm like, what time did you start drinking? And he's like, oh, I don't think I quit from last. Every single person from Alabama was saying the same yeah. verbatim story to me. So you're from there. Yeah. And you are, are – do you still have a place there, or are you Nashville full-time? No, I'm Nashville full-time. I just went uh, – I moved from uh, Austin to here. And I lived here years ago, and uh, I tell you something, I wish years ago I would have sold everything I had and just bought a house here, <laughs> just bought. You can sell stuff right now. It's so insane, this market. Yeah. And so, now nah, my mom lives back in Alabama, so we have a double wide there. Uh, but now nah, I was living, in, I rented a house in Austin for a year, and it was cool. I like it, but I just love Nashville. And as far as touring, dude, you can, Nashville's the, you can go 40 markets in a six-hour drive, you know. And I love this town. It's such a fun, like Austin, they call it the live music capital of the world. I'll disagree with that. It's like a bunch of party music everywhere you go. You go around in Nashville, you're hearing dudes that and chicks that could be famous in like you know a year or two. Within a year, they're just they're, they're playing for tips at a bar, and they're like, you're like, yeah, oh, oh, uh, Marin Morris did that two years ago, you know, or Jason Aldean was like, yeah. what? Dude? This town's insane. I love this town so much. I love it. I'm looking for property here right now. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm addicted to it. Oh, I don't. I think it would get a hold of me though if I was here for more than a couple weeks at a time. See, I lived in Vegas for a year and uh, or two years. I lived in Vegas for two years. That first two months I lived in Vegas were two of the hardest months of my life because everyone comes into Vegas to have the Vegas experience, you know? 
But there, so I had a different comedian friend coming in every week to to work a club, and so you know, one guy leaves out of town, and I'm you know, I've been I've been on a bender for a week with my other buddy. Now this guy's coming in; he's all fresh and bright eyed and bushy tail. Been looking forward to it for months. Dude, what are you doing? Like, I'm like, let's hang out. So then, like, it was about two months. I mean, my girlfriend, I was like, we were. It was like we were getting home at six a.m. literally every day, and we're like, hey, we need to we need to pull we need to pick my best friends out, and we'll, we'll plan on the calendar for when they come in. <laughs> It's it that was Nashville's not as bad to me because with Ben and you know Ben our buddy Ben Ratliff he uh you know he's an old man he's in bed by ten most nights so yeah. he's fun to hang out with you know where it's not just too crazy party lifestyle every day yeah and I was I'd see that with what I do for a living like you go somewhere for a hunt and you get to a hunting camp and I've been already been on the road for a month and by the time I'm there they're ready they've been looking forward to it for weeks and they're like rearing to go and you can't say no yeah so then they just don't know when to like turn it off and then you get FOMO and then I've talked to a lot of musicians you know songwriters and musicians and artists that are like man my first 10 years in in Nashville you yeah know, it's a 10-year town they didn't they never wanted to lay out they never wanted to lay down they wanted to like got to be the losers on a Thursday night yep. got to be over here on a Wednesday night got to be the red door at 2 a.m and and it's like they they they're they're networking they're opening doors they're like that's their business right yeah and they feel like if I'm not out there doing that I might miss a publishing deal I might miss a management deal something yeah. like that the sa- it's the same way with comedy that first those first years, dude, like e- even more recently with me, is you every night you're like, okay, if I'm not going out, someone else is. And you're like, I need to be out running the same shit. And don't get me wrong. Or sorry, I meant to. Can no, we you're good. This? You okay, yeah. you. Um, So the same, it's like you run the same stuff every single day and you do it for so, so long. And, and I mean, I this is so funny. So I had The Rock follow me on instagram right and he reshared a video of mine so in a matter of a day i gained twenty thousand followers right i'm on top of the world i'm making money i've been selling out places and i woke up the next day my friend we had drank all night and i woke up the next day i drove 10 hours to nashville to come do a uh, 10 minutes at this uh, zany's for no money and it was i was he's like he's like man he's like you really love like you have to love it like, you have to love it so much. The same thing with music. It's so weird the way we, we're just like, yeah, I'm going to drive 10 hours to go do 10 minutes, you know. And, and, and But I'm like, what if a new joke comes from that 10 minutes? Yeah. You know? It's or, a grind. And sometimes, like, you know, the TV executive could be in there. You just – you never know who's watching. You just, yeah. And that's how I see it in Nashville is that – I mean, I've seen artists up there where there's – you know, two big record label guys in the building there to watch somebody else, kind of like in baseball when I was yeah. playing baseball and you look like an athlete. Like it was kind of like the scouts would come to watch what's his name. And then they'd be like, Oh wait, who's that? And then, yeah. they, might, then they might yeah. get a little, you know, a, a little adrenaline going on that guy or something for the draft or like yeah. at least come send a cross checker after him. But tell me this real quick. I've always wondered about this and I got to meet, um, I never got to be real good friends with Ralphie, but I love that dude. And I miss Incredible. him. I was around him two times because of our mutual friend band. And you talk about just an awesome human being. But, um, and I had this conversation with him in Vegas one night. Personally, Rocky, how did, like, I think I'm funny yeah. when I'm with my buddies. Yeah. But then when I study stand up yeah. and the art of stand up and the yeah. timing and the delivery, you're like literally up there and you don't know anybody in that audience most of the time. And you're relying on this uncanny ability to tell a story, have yep. a punchline, get their attention, keep their attention. I like the way that you talk some shit to the audience and you'll roast them a little right. bit. But tell me when you knew or like I, I've read some things like at 19, you were like ready to to go out and start your stand up professional career. But ha- how did you know you weren't just funny with your buddies and you had the balls to actually go up and start the, and start that kind of deal? 
Dude, it's funny because you actually, it's so funny because you think you know, like you think you know that you're funny. When I started stand-up, it was off arrogance. I went and watched a buddy of mine do it. And then I literally was like, uh, I literally was like, you know what? He can do it. I can do it. And then you go do it and you suck. But in your mind, you didn't get booed off stage, so you're good. So it's it's a weird thing where that's what people that like, oh, my friend's so funny, he should do stand-up. It's more, it's way, it's way more analytical than we give it credit for, and you do have to break it down. But there was never a moment when I started that I was like, I, when I started, I was like, oh my god, I got three laughs, dude. I'm gonna do this forever. I'm so good. And then over time, when you, the worst thing you could do when you look back and you're like, I was awful. But it's it's a pure arrogance thing. It's pure. We all think we're super funny. And the biggest thing is, though, is the people that don't know you. And then a lot of times people don't like you. When I used to open for Ralphie, those people didn't I was 22, 23 years old. I opened it for him. And I would just, they would be like, what, what's this little punk talking about? It was brutal at times. But that make, that's what makes you better, though, is when you realize you're kind of not as good as you think you are. That's what, like, gives you that where you're like, all right, now I'm going to look at why they didn't laugh at this and the analytics side of it, which I feel like a bunch of people don't do, especially on social media. That's a big thing I always talk about is no one tries to grow their brand analytically like this is we're all in analytics like i can i can i can't tell you how to write a joke but i can look at your story and, and tell you how that story should go if that makes sense like it does like i can break it down of like oh okay so do this and say that and hey tag this is going to go at the end but you're going to call this back at the end and that's like the callbacks are one of the biggest things in comedy where you say something you bring it back 10 minutes later and it's like they're like oh how did he remember that you know that's what people always ask. They go, hey, you remember your jokes? I'm like, I do them every night. <laughs> like, I, I've done this set that I, I'm about to release. I've probably done this set probably three or 4,000 times. Like, le- legitimately. Like, I've done these jokes probably three or 4,000 times. And so it's like, yeah, dude, I know the, I know the, I know the back and forth. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I can, tell, I can do a line that don't work in the joke where I can tell you I, work, I used to work on that line right there. But it's, it's very weird. So I guess the answer is, is, to that question is, is you don't ever really know. And... You just have to just you literally just do it until you're either good or you're bad. And a bunch of people, I know people that have been doing it for 15 years that are still bad to this day. Why do I always hear? And I don't know if you can answer this, but you're a professional comedian stand up, which right. I have a ton of respect for what you do. And I love Bill Burr. Like, I'll be straight out with you right now. I think the dude's genius with his delivery. Do you agree? He's one of the best comics of all time. Of all if time. not the best. I, I would I would say 100 percent. I agree. Like. I don't remember which one it was. It was kind of like that black and white looking one where he talked. Such to, a oh, good oh special, my. dude. Oh, dude. I, also coming off that special, people forget that special came off the previous one, which was one of the best specials ever. Ever. So then you come out with that one, right? You release the black and white, black and white murders. Then he does the one in Nashville, but it wasn't as great, right? Wasn't as great. And then he comes back out with Paper Tiger. Yeah. That was this is great. It's, so strong. It's it's so hard to put out a spec. Like think about it. Like Ron White or someone. That first special he put out was amazing. The second was pretty good. The third one, it's just it's hard because you work like ten years to build one special, right? Yeah. So you work ten years and you release it, and then they expect another one in two years. You know, like it's it, it doesn't. It's so hard to build material that quickly. Because especially someone like me, like I build material by my life. Like something happens and it just goes in my set. So I don't sit down and write. So it's really hard for me to build material. That's why this past uh, hour I did, I cut out like three jokes. I was like, oh, these aren't as strong as the other ones. Because the other ones just ran. If I try to write it, it's going to be bad. Like it's, it's, if I try to sit down and be like, no, it needs to happen. And then I can learn to storytell it. And Burr has an amazing way of making the most mundane thing in the world just hilarious. And he tells it, when you listen to Burr, 
it sounds like it's the first time he's telling that story to you. It sounds like a guy at the bar you're just getting exactly. drunk with, and he's telling this. But if you break it down, it is perfectly told. Every facial expression, everything, every fuck is just perfect in perfect. the story. How does he get away with saying things that would be considered in – and we can get into this if you want with the woke, the woke society we live in and communities we live in now. How does Bill Burr get away with the shit that he says about the ashy elbows on black people yeah. or the, the, the Holocaust themed pool party? Y'all get in the pool and he's doing yeah. Hitler. He's like got these things that like, how does he stay on that? How And tell me like you do. How yeah. do you stay on that on, on the edge? But you don't get to the point where, and I'm sure people have wanted to cancel him. I'm yeah, sure people yeah. talk oh, about. Tried. But how does he do that, and how do you do that when it's so easy to be like going online? And the way that I want you to relate it to is like some of my favorite standups were delirious and raw. Like I love the impersonations that Eddie did. I think he's one of the best of all time. Right. I think that's really why he's probably not going to do another one because I've seen guys like Martin Lawrence get up there and try to come back what they used to do, and it just doesn't hit as funny anymore in today's age and i think eddie knows that like you can't beat delirious and raw in my period in in my opinion if you're eddie murphy right but how did you know like those two specials you like he made fun of every single thing in the yeah in the world and now today like Chappelle says something or you say something everybody's like cancel him cancel yeah. him. how does burr and guys like you stay there and not get to the point to where people actually try to tear you down that way. Dude, well, I, this is, it's so funny because I, I hate the way a lot of comics talk about like cancel culture and not just say anything. You could say whatever you want. It depends on where you live though. If you live in Los Angeles, nah, you can't say whatever. If, if, if you're one of those people that, that lives on the Hollywood community, if that makes sense, where like you got a TV show or you got a development deal or what, or like you're dealing with something because they can take that away. If you're a guy like Burr, where, you, where Burr's like, yeah, dude, my money comes off the road. He tours the. If you think anyone in Des Moines, Iowa, gives a, a shit about what Dave Chappelle says about trans people, they don't care. It, it, no one cares in the middle of the country. The issue is, is people that are the loudest are the smallest group of people. So with Burr, with Chappelle, uh, with myself or whoever, it's like, what are you going to take from me? Like, what what can you take? You, it, can you take the people that like me away from me? No, you can't. So you can't take anything away from them. And that's why they try to go so hard at those people. Rogan, Chappelle, are two of the, they try to go at them so hard because they're so popular. They're so good at what they do. And they try to attack them, and it pisses them off so bad that they can't take them down. Because they're like, yeah, like uh, Chris D'Elia got in trouble for that whole thing he did the, with the girls or whatever. Yeah. So they took away his TV show. They took away, took him out of the movie, and they're like, we won. Now Chris is coming back. I'm like, hey, I'm just going to do the road with my podcast. And everybody's mad. Like, oh, they, they can't. If you don't give them something to take away, they can't take away. That's why I live in Nashville now. If I tour the road and do the road and build my fans, my special, we got an offer to, to take it to Netflix, like to, to have Netflix look at it. And I was like, I'm good. I'd rather just put it on YouTube. Because if you take it to Netflix, I'm giving them something they can take away from me. And I'm not Dave Chappelle. I'm not going to bring in, you know, 20 million views. But if I put it on YouTube, that's me. That's all me. You can't take away my YouTube channel. So I'm good, you know. Like, it's that's where you try to grow your own thing. And that's what Burr, uh, Chappelle, and Rogan have done the best. It's if, But if you are in that loop and you want to have a sitcom or whatever, nah, you can get it taken away. And that's why Burr has been the best because he's like well, he's like well, he, he literally ignores it when someone gets mad at. And him. he's been in some movies. Like he was in some stuff with De Niro. He was in some stuff with uh, Sandra Bullock. Yeah, and, he, and stuff like. I mean, he he's been in some roles. Plus, because he got never the, addresses. He's it. got the animation. The animation. Yeah, F is F is for family. family. 
He never addressed it. it. Everyone else is like, guys, I will not stand for this and, and do this. And he's like, he's like, whatever. They suck. Who cares? And he records so it, you know, sitting you, on his couch. You talk about comedians like you guys are all buddies, and yeah. I know that you are, and you got a lot of respect to the way that you talk, I can tell. Was there ever a point in your career, and do you ever still face the dark side of other people's success in a world to where you can go onto social media and be like, oh, wow, he sold out this arena. Oh, well, he's headlining stadium tours and shit. Right. Do you ever look at it like, oh, man, I, I, do you, you get beat up any time, mean, like mentally or you know, psychologically, do you ever be like, damn it, I'm not to where I want to be yet. And I've heard musicians talk about this, Rocky, of like, yeah. they had to like cancel their account because they didn't, they were getting out of their lane. Yeah. And you seem like a guy that just stays in your lane and does you. Have you ever had to face that like, damn, I wish I was bigger than I am right now? Or do you just know that it's going to happen and you're just taking it as it comes? Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Before, I'm speaking in a different perspective now. Yeah. <laughs> like I have my own thing, right? So it's easy for me to say, no, but... Uh, at a point in time during COVID, I was I was upset at times because I was just so confused. I was like, I've done everything correctly. Why is this not happening for me the way that I want it to? So I do, I, I, I get what someone's saying, but that was the worst time of my life. The, the least productive time is if you do something to get something out of it, you're never going to get anything out of it. If, if you're like, I'm getting to stand up to get rich, you're not. So during COVID, when I was so like, oh, why, why, why can't I do this? Why is this guy doing this? My least productive time. And then when I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to put my clips online. I'm going to do it my way. That was the most productive time. And so now, like, I don't really look at anyone else's success and, uh, and, and base myself off of it because it, it, it does, like, it just drags you down. But I've never been that guy because I, I had so little coming up, growing up, that it never, like, bothered me that someone's like, oh, they got this and I didn't get this. Because I've been successful at times. And I've also, like, I've always, besides COVID, lived a pretty good life in general. And so it never was like, oh, this guy's getting this. Why why am I not getting it? I always believed in myself and I always wanted to to do it myself anyways. Like, I've, I've ruined myself out of a lot of opportunities. Like, I'll never do this night show because of what I said to the booker one time. Um, I'll never do NBC again. I'll never do E again. I've, I've burned a bunch of bridges, but I'm like, ah, you, you can burn bridges if you're good at building your own bridges, you know? Like, like I don't want to go over there anyways. I, fuck this bridge, dude. Let's burn it right now. Yeah. You know, I love the smell of smoke. So <laughs> it's I, I think it's important to understand, though, that if you do take the path of doing it yourself, then you can't compare. You can't. I can't be mad at Hollywood. Hollywood tried to help me. They wanted me to be Jeff Foxworthy. They like they always told me like, "Oh my God, you could be like the new Jeff Fox. Like you could be like the progressive version." And I was like, "Dude, I don't sound anything like Foxworthy. <laughs> we are nowhere near the same. He's just the only person with a Southern accent you know." Yeah. So I, I try to. If you compare yourself to people, you're just gonna you're gonna get blue in the face. You know. That's a great way to look at it. It's just dumb. It, it's something that, especially like you know, because we've had a couple of things happen recently, and I've been annoyed by things. And I'm just like, whatever, dude. I'm drinking a really nice bottle of bourbon. I'm smoking a great cigar. I got a good house. I sell tickets. Who cares? It's just you know, you have to get over it and realize that yeah, dude, that person's having their little come up, whether you like them or not. It's it's whatever. Let them. If you can sustain, it's the biggest. So thing. is the goal to sustain a career? To sustain, dude. Sustainability. I've seen so many people in this industry when I started young too. And I've seen so many people just pop and then die off. And, and like, especially the industry babies, the people that the industry handpicks. And they've picked a couple that have popped recently. And it's been cool to watch them because the people have followed it up. But they'll push you. They'll open the door, dude. But you got to open the next door. And so that's what Ralphie taught me the best way. Ralphie always let me go to Hollywood. He always let me go and do the interviews and, you know, talk to everybody. And he never – he, he always knew that that wasn't what I wanted because – 
Think about all those people that have had the TV shows and whatever. The real money you make is doing the road. That's how where your money comes from. And so that's the thing with me and people is that people connect to me. And so I want to spend my life, you know, going to Odessa, Texas on a Saturday. Like that's, I love that stuff. And that's what makes me happy is connecting with the people because the people then decide your career. If you, as, as long as for the rest of your life, if you do well for the people, they'll do back to you. Look at Louis C.K. He lost $30 million because of Hollywood. But then goes back on the road and everybody, he gets standing ovations his first two shows out. And they're like, we love you, dude. You make your money from the people. The people decide who really successes, who really goes overall. Because if you're with that industry, that industry, that beast can spit you out anytime it wants to. And you say one wrong word to one person, I'm an alcoholic drunk at festivals. I've gotten drunk and told this night show booker to go fuck himself. And I, but it's, it's, I can do that, though, because I've built my own thing. I don't have to deal with, you know. People talking, you can't say this. Yes, you can. You can say whatever you want. If you're going to be an asshole to me, you know, the, the music industry, they deal with it 10 times worse than I do. The way they've talked to some of these artists and treated them, telling them to break up the band and stuff, you know. Yeah. I had one guy telling me to lose my accent for a while. He goes, we can't get you commercial work with an accent. And I was like, yeah, Matthew McConaughey's had a really tough time here lately. What are you talking about, dude? That's why I love this, though. We're literally we're recording a po- It's like we're recording a podcast. We used to have to do radio shows and abide by FCC rules and all that. Yeah. It's so much more free now. And I feel like people would take – if we can get away from that industry side and just be like, dude, the people love it. Let's get to the people. You know, give them what they want. Every road show I do, I always, I'm so thankful. I take a picture after every show. And, you know, that's what really matters. Do you – do you think that it's unfair to say that comics are dark people? And I'm and I'm I've heard that because We're all dark. because of the suicide rate of yeah. comics and the and the way that you have to get inside of your psyche to tell these jokes and to to be raw. Yeah, um, we could talk about several of them that, that have done it. You know, with the, the biggest of all time, I don't know, maybe it might be Robin Williams, but um, Greg Gerardo, Greg Gerardo, Artie I mean, Lang survived. Artie Lang Artie survived, was... but he tried with a butter knife. I think. Yeah. Um, what does that mean when you hear that? When, when, and I want you to educate me. Okay. What does it mean when you hear comics are dark and that's why they go that far? Does, is it because they can't, they don't think they're making people laugh? Does it, does it mean that they think that people are laughing at them for the wrong reason? Why do they get so extreme into that darkness? I think it's a, it's a mental disorder. So like the, the two days ago, I was at my house freaking out. Because a bunch of podcasts canceled on me to promote my special. And I was like, wow, people hate me. I'm, I'm dumb. I, no one likes me. No one, I'm not funny. I'm not, I've, I've skated by. And like, and my girlfriend was just, and she goes, she kind of at this point, she wish waits two hours and I flip around. Like we, I think we all have a pretty much a mental disability because we do all crave attention. That's why we get on stage. People can admit it or not. But it's like you want, you want to make people laugh, right? And what's funny, though, is like one of my jokes, okay, my, my, I have a joke, uh, my dad got in a fist fight with my aunt one time on Thanksgiving. That was the day I lost all respect for my dad, not only because he hit a woman, but he also lost that fight. <laughs> I was like, you can't hit a woman and lose. Now, that's like a joke about my aunt and my dad fighting. That's a real story. When I was eight and that happened, that was traumatizing. My dad was punching my aunt in the face, and then my aunt fucking socked my dad back, though, and kicked him in the nuts. Now, looking back, when that happened, that's nothing about that is funny, but you make it funny. It's a way to deal with trauma. Like, it's a way to deal with things. And I think the reason the dark side comes out is because of the expectations we put on on ourselves. And then also, a lot of times, in comedy, you just, when you're coming up, man, you get fucked over so much by so many people that just lie to you. Like, these agents, these managers, the club bookers, that are so rude to you for so long. And then when when you pop and you have your own thing, they are so nice 
and and that it's just so two-faced that you feel like everyone in the industry is just not there for you as a person and people develop their identity too much as a comic and not as a person right i love comedy but it's not my identity. I, I love to drink bourbon. I love to smoke cigars. I love to go fishing. Like there are tons of things that people don't. We get we get so locked up though with being like we gotta gotta have a new joke. Gotta have a new joke. Gotta have a new joke. We gotta do this. We gotta do this. And I I fall I fall into it myself. And sometimes I just go, breathe, brother, breathe. Because I've seen so many people in this industry just get so locked up in it, and then they get and they kill themselves, or they just their career dies. They get I know a comic right now. Uh, I won't say his name, but he's lost a bunch of followers and a bunch of people over the years because he is just so he's gotten so into politics where that's all he talks about now. He's not funny anymore. Now he just wants to bitch about everything. I think it's a mental thing that every comic I think you have to have a mental problem to be messed to be in comedy. Like it's it's an insane thing to do that you're gonna spend ten, fifteen years of being dead broke to then maybe maybe get back to even and maybe you make it. But look at the success rate of comics. Think about how many comics you can name. In, in, in the history of comedy. It's like you could probably name 20, 25. And there's been hundreds of thousands of comics yeah, that have never the, made Yeah, because those are the ones that, that became household names, right? That's it. It's and then you start number. comedy, you meet a guy that's been doing it 35 years on the road. He's hilarious, but he don't sell tickets. because he And I've seen to those guys open for bigger names, and you're like, how are you not? How are you not famous? But yeah. it's always drugs, alcohol, um, money, gambling, or women. It's one of the five. They always have. Really? So it's 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 a very like dark thing, and I and I fall into it quite often. I ride the emotional roller coaster. So when I'm high, your boy's high. When I'm low, I think the world's falling in. You know, like I watched my special that I just filmed. I probably watched it nine times, and three of the times I literally threw my phone against the wall. I'm like, this is awful. I'm I'm awful. And then I watch it again. I'm like, I'm the best comic alive. <laughs> then I watch it again. I'm awful. It's it's mentally. I don't know, man. I think it's. I think it's because you get with comedy, it's such a pure. You get like, you are so afraid of just being bad because it's such a you. You're opening up your life to someone, and then somebody online's like, "You suck, you you suck," and you're like, "I just gave you my life on stage, man. Yeah, I gave you everything about me." Do you do you start like you mentioned this special? As soon as that special goes, and you had may mention Rocky that that special you've been doing it a thousand times, yeah. and you don't like the back of your hand. As soon as that goes to air, are you right now sitting down writing a joke like a songwriter goes? All right, now I got to write it. I got to co-write with somebody. I'm going over there on Thursday. Yeah. I just had a number one, but I'm not stopping there. Right. You know, like we're looking at Dean Dillon, one of the greatest songwriters of all time, right here with George Strait. So I don't know how how many hits he wrote just for George Strait, but like they said that Dean Dillon could just like the story of the song The Chair by George Strait. Yeah. He had a bet in a bar. Like, I bet you can't write a song about that chair and he did it in like 20 minutes. There number you, one. Yeah. So like, are you like, are you that way to where as soon as that comedy special airs and you know it's in stone and done that you're working on the next one already? Or do you take a deep breath and go to the Keys and fish for Marlin for a couple <laughs> weeks? Or, or how do you, how does that work? Or is it like you always have your phone on and you think of something, you get it tabbed out to where that could be a joke someday? Yeah, so the way, I, I know that if I sit down and try to write out stuff, it ain't gonna work. I just know it. So, uh, I'm in the phase right now of where uh, I'll say about once a day I have an, a panic attack because I'm like, I don't have any new stuff. But it's I've, I went through it last time I wrote an hour. And so now it's basically I try to let my life live itself. It sucks because I have, I have tour dates in the calendar that I'd like to have new stuff for. But it, you just can't. Like it's I don't want to force anything. So I try to let life live it. Like I, I thought about a story today from, uh, from a, my hometown where I thought about it in the car. That's where all my jokes come from is thinking about it in the car and then jotting it down and then just doing it over time. But if you, I'm not a guy that can sit down and just write out a good joke. I, I can't. I, I, I need to tell it on stage and then I can structure it over time. Because if I try to write it down, it just sounds too forced. It doesn't sound free. 
And so it's emotional wreck. I'll be an emotional wreck for the next year because I'll be like, I don't have a new act yet. And then I'll have one, and then I'll get sick of it as soon as it's done. <laughs> That's what sucks about comedy. Music, you write a great song. You tell it for the rest of your life. You sing that song, you know, check yes or no, as he plays at every concert. Yeah. Comedy, as soon as that hour is done and you're like, that was great, you're like, all right, I got to get rid of it now. <laughs> you just go right back in the cycle of trying to find new jokes, and it's so hard, especially with a storyteller because we rely on stories. That's why I think it's an important thing as a storyteller to have a life outside of comedy because Burt Kreischer said to me one time, he goes, don't be so obsessed, uh, obsessed with telling stories about your life on stage. You don't live a life worth telling stories about. And so you got to live that life, man. You got to have a life outside of this that you can bring into the world, you know, because you don't want to become disconnected from your audience. You know, I still go to Walmart. <laughs> like I still eat McDonald's. I'm trying to stay connected with my people, you know. So do you when you start thinking about all the 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 jokes that need to be they need to be come up with you got to yeah. have another special something yeah. you got to have stuff to go out on yeah. tour with do you have to do a lot of forensic auditing to make sure that that joke's never been told before i'm wondering like is there a fear in a comic that yeah. he'll he or she will ever get called out of being a a replicator or a copycat a hundred percent that's my worst fear that is the worst fear in the entire world that's why i don't i, I that's why i hate jokes because jokes can be wrote, right? Like jokes can be came, like can you can write a, a perspective on something. Like if you go on Twitter and and like a, a live sports moment happens, and you go on Twitter, you can find that joke you thought of on Twitter. I guarantee it. it it's it's common thought. That's why with stories, it's so impressive. Ralphie did it differently. Ralphie would do things where he would take a, a hack premise at times. And he would do it so good that no one could ever touch it again. Like, he would do, like, something that was... Let me guess one real quick before we both go. Okay. I was thinking about this before I asked the last question. The mixtape. Like, I was a mixtape master in eighth grade and ninth grade. And when I watched Ralphie May do his story about his mixtape yeah. and the chicks that he was with and the different ways that you can perform different acts on a girl, I went, oh, my God. Like, that is how you bring a mixtape story into comedy is that kind of what you're 100%. talking about 100 that the the uh black people in the movie theater bit like the um, uh what watermelon gum like it's a uh, uh, cuba diving it was it was so good that he touched it that like louis ck had the uh, bit about the n-word like it, it's so good no one even tries to touch it now because you're like hey that's his bit like the bill burr hitting woman bit like it, it you, you can't touch that topic again because it was done so perfectly so right perfectly. it had been done before but it hadn't been done that way and so with stories, though, stories are different because they're such a relation to your life. So I have a story about a gun getting pulled on me. And it's this, like, wild, you know, seven minutes of comedy that I just talk crazy fast for. But I know, like, no one's taking that story. Like, if you take that story, I know you stole it from me, you know. And so that's where it's a weird thing. Thank you. That's where it's a weird thing with, with comedy of where, yeah, it's, you're so freaked out about it. You're so, you're always, like I have a story right now that I'm working on that I'm trying to make sure a friend of mine didn't do a similar thing to it. Now, the whole story is different, but I'm, I want that one part not to be similar, you know, because it is hard to hear something and not pick it up, you know. That's why I don't watch a bunch of comedy because I'll, I'll pick up, like, I don't want to pick up anything someone said before me, you know. But it's weird, though, because I can watch some comedy, then the word horse triggers my story about a horse for the kid, you know, like, like when, or, or, or they go, they go, oh, uh, the, 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 the Pizza Hut. And then all of a sudden I have a story about when I got hit with a baseball at a pizza. You know, it's like it's weird the way things happen when they happen. 
they just pop up. Like the story with, with me and Ben, we went to the uh, the Ohio Zoo one time, and I ate an edible, and a penguin humped my leg. And for years, I could never tell that story. I could never get it right. And then one day, that story just flourished together, and it became one of my recognizable, most recognizable bits I've ever written. And how, when you start to tell that story, yeah, how much lying or fabrication go? Because I had a buddy coming up in college. We played college baseball together, okay. and he would always say, "Tell me a story and don't be afraid to throw some shit in." Because he yeah, didn't just yeah. want some normal. It makes it better. You know what I mean? So how much? How much do you have to lie or fabricate or exaggerate to get that point across? To get that crowd to just like belly laugh? So I would say it's probably eighty twenty. Um, you when you started out a story you tell it pretty much completely true and the thing is the more truth you can make in it the better so it's uh dave chappelle said good uh great comedians say funny thing or good comedians say funny things great comedians say things funny so a story if you can keep it like almost to the word true it makes it better because you have to explore the like the regular things in that story instead of making it just perfect with the wording where you said this and the guy said this and you win. You know, you have to explore the other sides. of it. That's why my gun story is such a good story because I used to have some lies in it where I lied what the guy said. Then I actually just completely went off that and erased all of it and just put in the true facts of it. It's weird when you, it's weird in comedy when you get a laugh off something you don't think is funny. Like 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 one night I was just I was kind of drunk on stage, and I go uh, my girlfriend's Spanish I think, and and it like it got a laugh and I was so I was like why is that, why is that that's not funny like that's like I just I, I just really like just randomly said it accidentally and, there, and everybody laughed and I kept doing it and it, you got a big laugh the rest of the time, it's weird that's with comedy that's why you have to with a song you can work it out and then come out with this amazing song just release it one and everybody loves it with comedy you have to fill it out because the people think things are, are different are, are funnier to them than they are to you and so you have to write a story out try to keep it as true as you can because then they can relate to it right like they can they can be like oh i would have done this same done thing you know instead of being like that's too perfectly the way oh he's oh you automatically responded with a perfect punchline that's not realistic you know so on on roasting the audience i was at a dice show one time and i and i, <laughs> oh, and I very rarely have the you know the cojones yeah. to go in public without a baseball hat on because of my baldness i've never been able to face up to being bald and i started going bald at 24. this certain night i went out in public without my hat on yeah. i was like you know what it's my birthday Doing it's it. freaking dice it's not 89 dice madison square gardens with hickory dickory dock but he's still funny i went to the meet and greet and i had a hat on at the meet and greet it wasn't really meet and greet. It was just my, I knew the director of entertainment. He brought me in there. I got to say hello to Dice. God, he dressed goofy. It was so funny. But then I'm like <laughs> front row, center stage, no hat, blue shirt. And he loses it on me. You want to be Bruce Willis and, <laughs> and just starts lighting me up. And I'm just like, wow, dude, that is freaking like an honor to be roasted by freaking Dice. So you're roasting. And I'm going somewhere with this, Rocky, because I want your opinion. And you can tell me no if you don't want to answer a female comedian named Amy something was on the was on a roast where she roasted a line on Steve O. Yeah. About a friend of him dying. Yeah. And it literally got whoa. Yeah. Is there a such thing as going too far in stand up comedy? Is there a such thing as going too far in roasting? Is there a such thing as too soon? I remember when Gilbert got, uh, God rest your soul, Gilbert. I love Gilbert Goffrey, but I didn't know him, but I, he made me laugh, but he passed away, right? Yeah. Like, it's crazy, but he had, had a joke about the tsunami that, yeah. he, that, that Aflac fired him. 
you yeah. know, because maybe they said it was too soon after the fact. Yeah, but yeah. Is there a such thing as hurting somebody's feelings? Because Steve O was just like, oh my God, I can't believe you just said that joke to me. Yeah. Does that, does that, ring? do you understand what I'm trying to say? So the thing about that is, is, um, is you have to, with roasting the crowd and doing a roast are very different. And so I think there, I think you can say whatever you want. I think it, at times, though, because that joke you're referencing had been done previously, uh, but it had been done a little bit better, where it was a little bit more of like an easier in. That was kind of just like up front, you know, bang. I still I still thought it was like a, a, a good roast joke, but um, with roasting and an actual roast, I, do, I think you can say whatever you want. But with doing a, a roast with a crowd, you have to build like a rapport with the crowd. And so you like know the line you have with them. And you have to build it because they trust you. And so you can say things that you normally, like, if I walked on stage and roasted the crowd, it wouldn't make sense. But with me building a rapport with them where they know me, then they trust me when I'm making fun of them. And so I don't ever really, like, hold back or, I mean, I say, like, whatever about any race. I say whatever. And what's funny is people online always have an issue with what I say because they weren't in the room, which I get. I can I completely understand. They're like, oh, my God, how can you say this to this person? How could he say that to that person? I'm like, you see that person's laughing, though. Like, they're laughing along because I had spent 30 minutes talking and building a rapport with them that when I made fun of them, they were, like, into it, you know? So it's, it's a very different thing of when you roast the crowd. So you can get the credibility and respect of, a, let's just pick one, um, a chubby person, yeah. front row. Yeah. You know that they've overeaten a little bit. You know yeah. that... But do you do you even take into consideration like the psyche? Like that's what you're saying is you got to get to know them first. Like you, have to ma- know. you can probably feel it out. Like if this girl is going to get her feelings hurt because she's down in the dumps about being overweight, do you want to compound that and say a joke to bring everybody's eyeballs in the theater's attention to that one certain person that might not ver- you know be happy with him or herself? Yes, yeah, so that's tough. As as I mean, you can see I'm a, I'm in good shape. That's re- it's really tough. Like fat people, especially like I, it's hard to touch them because the crowd freezes up they usually laugh but the crowd also uh people that have served in the military people freeze up so hard when i make fun of someone in the military and the military people love it they fucking served in a war they don't give a fuck what you say right but everyone else is like he's making fun of a soldier or whatever but you have to build the rapport so my thing is when i do that with someone that maybe would be considered like uh, people say punching down which is a stupid thing because we're saying punching down you're saying i'm better than the person i'm making fun of which, if that's for race and uh, how much they weigh, that's really fucked up to say. Everyone yeah. should get made fun of equally. But, uh, no, like, I, I think there's no – I think you have to build the trust with the crowd. And then just – and if you say it with fear, you're fucked up already. You can't have no fear what you're saying. You have to think what you're saying is fine. If you were with your friends, you would say whatever. But now it's a random crowd, so now you feel you, you feel like you can't say it. If you feel that, then don't say it. Like, I, I had a gay guy at the day to show, and he was, like, being, like, real sassy up front. And I go, damn, you're a sassy bitch, ain't you? <laughs> and, and the crowd goes, <gasps> and then he just starts laughing, and then they laugh. But it, it's, it takes a second to, like, build up that rapport with someone where you can, like, yeah, you can say whatever you want, but you just read the room. <laughs> like, understand the relationship you've made with these people before you're just going out and being like, you fucking suck, you're fat, you, you, you're gay. You, you can't do that. And right. it, it's a very it's learning how to read people. Like I, I'm pretty good on stage. I have a couple of clips where like I guess people's names before, or I can guess their job like pretty quickly because I'm like I've done so many shows. I've seen you. I've seen you, Brad. Like you're Brad. You work in real estate. Your wife's a fitness trainer. Like I've seen I've seen you over 300 shows. You know. Yeah. 
So do you get, when you talk about the room, uh, there was a, uh, and I'm older than you, I'm 47 years old, and there was a there was a movie when I was a kid called Punchline. Yeah. And it was a great huge, comedy huge, movie. Huge I think movie. it was Tom Hanks yep. and Goldie Hawn. Was it Goldie Hawn? I don't remember. I, I, know, I know it was Tom. I don't um, know if it was Goldie or not. But they talked about the room a lot. And the different rooms, the lighting, the the way that you get in there. And, like, do you sound check in the midst like a band would do? Like, would you come into here and get on the stage and be like, okay, get the lighting exactly how it's going to be, and I'm going to see the seats exactly how they're going to be laid out? No. Or do you go into that blind and you just hop up on stage and you're like, oh, whoa, like, that's a, it's a little bit different every time. Nah, dude, I, I like to – I even – I did Montreal, uh, which was the biggest comedy biggest festival. Biggest comedy festival, yeah. Huge comedy. And I did New Faces, which is the most important part. That's where – I mean, every person that's ever done comedy has done Montreal. Like, it's just the time. Now, given I did it when they weren't giving out the development deals that they used to. They were a million dollars. But I still did it. And uh, everyone's sound checking, you know, looking at the room. And they go, Rocky, you want to go You want to go sound check? And I go, no. And they go, why not? I'm like, what, the, what, what am I sound checking for? It's a fucking show. They go, well, go check out the room sounds. I'm like, I don't care how it sounds. And then they go, will you please go out and sound? I, was, All right. I walked out and I go, are we good? <laughs> All right, cool. I walked in the back. I'm like, I don't need it. I, I want it to be, Bill Hicks said, close your eyes for 10 seconds, then walk on stage and tell the truth. So it's like, I, I want it to be fresh. I want to hear this for the first. I want to be in the moment of where this crowd is like, wow, this guy is doing this completely off the top of his head. And obviously I'm not, but I want them to feel like they're seeing something unique for the first time. And so I don't ever sound check. I show up to venues like 10 minutes before I go on. And I go on and, and do it. And I, don't, I, don't, I don't ever want to see the crowd. I want to see them for the first time when I do it. I walk on stage. And I feel like it makes it organic. Do you, do you think that by staying raw like that, that it, and you say that you use the word organic, do you get hyped? Do you, you, yeah. you see bands like put their prayer hands in? You see the walkout music of an of a MMA fighter or a yeah. boxer, sorry. Do you get hyped like that to where you're, you're going up there and you're like, I'm going to Axl Rose this shit tonight, you know? Like, yeah. I'm going to go own this crowd. Yeah. Or do you have to stay, like, on an even keel to where you can't, probably party too much before a comedy show because there's the idea of maybe forgetting a joke or can you just go up there at the drop of a dime and do that stand-up special and be fresh and not be a mess up there yeah. if you don't do your pre-show routine per se no no so i think it's it's funny this is gonna sound arrogant but it's it's all good so we did it i was in uh, austin one time and me and my buddies we went to the texas uh oklahoma state game so we leave that we go down to a bar downtown we drank the entire day, and now we were on, like, bourbon, like, uh, heavy stuff. And so my buddy uh, from Vulcan Gas Company comes over, and he starts drinking with us. He goes, dude, he's like, go do a set tonight. And I was like, dude, I am hammered. I was like, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to have a hangover tomorrow, which I don't usually get those. And he goes, just come on, let's go do a set. I got there at 12 in the morning. So I, think about it. That game was an 11 a.m., I think, game. I've been drinking since 11 till then. I, I do not remember what I, I don't remember what I said. I do not remember what I said at all. But I, I remember walking off and Nick going, dude, that's one of the best sets you ever had here. Because it, it does come naturally. You just get so in the routine. And the thing that alcohol, uh, it can hurt, obviously. But it can help in the sense of that you're so free. So if you, basically when you're drunk with comedy, I have a playbook, right, that I can always go to. But then also I can just branch off randomly and you're, you don't care about the laughter. Because when you don't get a laugh on stage, man, it sucks. I mean, it, it, it sucks. But when you're drunk, you're like, who gives a fuck about this crowd? Right. And I did, I did like 20 minutes, and I don't remember a word I said. And my buddy was still to this day. He's like, this is one of the funniest things I've ever seen you do. And I was like, I wish I could fucking remember it. I couldn't remember any of it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember a word I said that night. My, even my friends were like, dude, that was insane. 
they go, they go, they go, you were just like, you, you, they go also, you, because when I get drunk, it's funny because I talk slower. So normally I talk really, really fast, but then when I'm drunk, I talk slower and I enunciate. But then when I enunciate, my accent comes out more. So then all of a sudden I sound like a foghorn fucking leghorn, you know, <laughs> and I'm just up there spewing stuff. So it's a, it's a weird thing of where it's like a fun, you know, it's like it's when, you, when you're drunk, it's fun. You don't want to do it too much because then you just kind of become the rambling asshole. But it, it is it's a playbook. You don't I can I could do most of my hours like my I have two hours of comedy. I could probably do the sets identically to this day just because I did them so much. Like I know the exact way they flow. And I, I have built in jokes where if you laugh really hard or if you don't laugh, I have a built in joke right there that I can throw in. Bam. You can answer this again if you want, because me and you, we've we've met through text and now we've got the meet, so we don't know each other very right. well. I don't, like, I'm not trying to be that guy, <clears throat> uh, the sexist or whatever, but we're all created equal. Right. I get this. Yeah. Female comics don't make me laugh as much as male comics do. Now, okay. I'm not trying to be unfair, no, and I don't know many that are funny, that yeah. funny. Now, there are some that I've watched and been like, that's some funny shit. Right. Like, that was worth watching. Do you think that this has been the history of comedy to where women have had a hard time keeping up with men and their delivery and their ability to tell jokes? Or has it all, have, are, am I way off basis here and there are just as many funny female comics out there working the stages of the comedy store or all of the, you know, the funny bone or wherever we're talking about? Yeah. Is it Caroline's in, in Caroline's New York City? New York. Are there just as many funny females out there or and am I missing this? So here's the issue. First off, with a female, um, here's the thing. So I don't think John Mulaney is very funny, right? I, I don't laugh at his jokes. I can look at his jokes and go, those are fucking great. I can tell you he's one of the best comics working. I just don't personally laugh at it, right? I laugh really hard at Ron White. Why? Because I relate to Ron White. I relate to Bill Burr. I get angry as hell. I relate to him. So with female comics, first off, you're not relating to them. You just don't relate. You're a man. You live a vastly different life, right? So then you had the second problem of where... The industry picks who goes in the female comic route because very few female comics have built it on their own, right? Um, so the, the industry picks who goes and who doesn't go. So the industry picks the people that they relate to the most, which is the people that talk about their pussy or whatever. Now, given, and then there are so many female comics that are amazing that you've never, Jessica Kirkson is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. She murders at the cellar in, in New York so hard that when she murders, the pictures on the wall are, are they're, they're vibrating. It's it's crazy, and and so but the industry. She's a forty year old woman, lesbian, and they just haven't picked her to be the person. They picked other. They picked the twenty you know year old hot girl or whatever to be the person that they're gonna push to the front. And I'm like Jessica Kirkson's a murder. Third is there's not that many women in comedy compared to men. Like it's just there there's just not that many, and. So it's a weird thing of where the ones that are good just don't get put to the front. Like it, it and it's kind of sad. That's why I don't ever. I just get pissed off because you'll never see the best of the female comics. They'll never get the Netflix offer. Netflix and, and Comedy Central have their own crew they want to hire. That's where you where you get the woman that just complains about Trump being orange for ten minutes. You know, instead of Jessica talking about her. Uh, 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 I think she has this great story about. <laughs> I think it's like eating pussy or something. But it's just, a, it's just you. It is a story for ten minutes where you cry your eyes out laughing. And uh, Leanne Morgan, another Southern comic who did actually build it on her own, who's now doing theaters, and she flatlines a room, just murders a room, dude. But you don't hear about those women. You hear about oh, I've the never people. Heard of either one of them. Exactly. You, you, we know the people that are pushed to the front, and they're often not the funniest as the the other ones are. And 
it's it's kind of annoying and and as if i was a woman i would be fucking furious which as a lot of them they they rightfully are that someone gets pushed ahead of them that's not as good but that's where they're gonna start building their own thing because i mean think about it there are women on social media and i think if you're a female comic you should be working harder to build your own thing and that's where you're seeing these females a podcast girls gotta eat is a podcast right they talk to they're like you know they talk to the females and Dude, they do theaters. They do live theater shows that sell out in 20 minutes. So they've built it on their own where they don't have to deal with this industry. If you're the Hollywood industry, if you're a black guy, you better smile. You better smile. That's racist. But they call us racist, right? And I'm like, y'all are way more racist. Why does every black girl have to be sassy? Every black girl has to be sassy in the commercial, right? Mmm, Popeye's chicken. That's so fucking racist. Yeah. And so they, they won't push you ahead unless you fit their diagram. But what's going to happen over the next five to ten years, you're going to see a lot of female comics really pop. And you're not going to relate to them. So you may not love them, but you'll be like, hey, that was funny as shit. That was, like, that was a good joke. But it's just the same as like people in the North. like you know, They don't relate to Ron White as much as people in the South. It's, just, it's, it's all what you know and relating to stuff. Like If you talk about period cramps, I'm not going to relate to I don't know it, right? right? But think about all the women that are like, oh, that is how it is. Yeah. So it's, there, there's a way to do it. And you have to build it on your own. I think the female comics are, they're understanding that. And now they're starting to grow from it. And they're going to be a multi, multi, multi billionaires. Because women also, women buy tickets more often than men. And women buy merch more often than men do. The girls got to eat, uh, not girls got to eat. And then call her daddy. There's a podcast on Barstool. That girl does like $4 million a year in merch, dude. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. So, but you can't wait on Hollywood to be like, you know what? You're the female we choose this year. Because they choose one at a time. Same thing with black, that black people, they choose like one black person at a time that can be successful. And then now the black people are like, you know what? Well, then <laughs> fuck you, Jarrett. We're just going to build our own thing. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's happening. It's a, be- it's a beautiful time to be alive because you're seeing the California, you know, the way we got to do it. This is the Hollywood way. You're seeing it crumble. And you're seeing the middle of America, the place that's also where everyone goes, is now popping off, you know. Popping. Tennessee, Austin, you know, Vegas, they're all becoming hot spots to move to because everyone's like, I'm just going to go there, live at a reasonably priced place, and I'm going to build my own shit. Yeah. The same way you're doing. Like, it's like you're building something where no one can say, you know what, this is what you do. Because I'm, I've met you for, what, an hour now? I can tell you, you're not a guy that has a finger in your face. No. <laughs> that would piss you off. The same way it pisses me off. Yeah. But the only thing is, I've been in the Comedy Central office and they put the finger in my face and I was, <laughs> didn't react well. Didn't react well. So you talk about, um, you know, not getting that finger in your face and, and being your own person. I've had a country music guy tell me, I mean, he's a good friend of mine, Gary LaVox, <clears throat> lead singer for Rascal Flats. Yeah, okay. I once asked him, I said, you know, when you were, performing all the time you'd come and sell out a stadium or you'd right. sell out a an amphitheater and i would hear people talk like man that dude ain't country and i'd be like have you ever heard of like vince gill one of the finest singers all the time and gary said it like this he says chad do you want me to sound just like george Strait? <laughs> yeah, i can't yeah do you want me to sound just like hank jr well right. i can't so right when you see somebody like a like a the old days was gallagher and the watermelon right then there's carrot top at the luxor in vegas and you hear a lot of shit about carrot top like is he really even a comedian but he does the props when you see that stuff being down do you have the same reaction kind of like what you just did to me not getting the finger in my face in my podcast of being like good for carrot top he's out there doing his thing and he's stuck with it he's original he's got his his treasure chest to props well how do you how do you look at comedians like that that aren't per se telling the stories and getting that kind of laugh dude I, it's it we uh, that's it's such a stupid archaic way we talk about those it's the same way i'll relate it back to, to music again 
it's everyone goes, oh, the bro country, country's dead, country's dead, the bro country. I'm like, dude, why? I, I I don't like a bunch of the bro country, but don't like it's they're doing whatever. Carrot top, you can say whatever you want to about carrot top. The motherfucker's been doing it thirty years and selling out for like thirty years, okay? And if you go watch carrot top show and not laugh, yeah. go, if it's possible, go watch his show and not laugh. He's hilarious, dude. So it's the way anyone does comedy or does anything. I don't I don't care if I'm if I'm focused on. The, the pure side of where like you're only a stand-up if you do it this way you're only a, a you're only a country music star if you go live on the ranch for two years and your guitar has scratches all over it no if someone wants to sing about a friday night with a girl and a keg of beer i don't care i and i listen to some songs i'm like oh this is like a fun song it's such a stupid way it's it, it, it's the same way with everything on social media. Everyone is so critical of everyone else. I'm like, dude, let them do what the fuck they want to do. Rascal Flats, I saw that concert. That's I went to the Birmingham BJCC. I took my mama. That's one of the best concerts I've ever been to. That guy, the vocal range on that dude Amazing. is absolutely unreal. So, yeah, dude, if you want him to be like, well, I say, he can do that. He has the range. But instead, he's like, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna come to country music and bring the falsetto from fucking opera over. Yeah. And I'm going to bring a new sound. And everyone instead is like, oh, they're not country. It's like, how, you don't know the guy. Oh, he spikes his hair? That, that, that makes you not country? I guarantee you can go in a country bar in Texas and find a guy with spike hair that will beat your lights out. Like what the country thing is so stupid to me. Like the thing he everybody's gotta be raising a farm and with horses. Dude. <laughs> no, dude. I, I lived in a trailer, dude. I yeah. had a dog with three legs. Like it's what what are you talking about? It's such a stupid way. I, I people are so critical of everyone, everyone else with how everyone does things. It's stupid. And so a comic, however you want to do comedy, I don't care. If you're hacking, you still jokes. It's kind of annoying, but I'm like, you ain't gonna go nowhere with that. So I ain't worried about it. Is there a difference in comedic timing and delivery of telling a joke about i don't care what time in history it was a lot of people are probably going to think i'm talking about the current time with what i'm getting ready to say but is there a difference in telling a joke about our president that's for fun as opposed to being on a soapbox and pushing an agenda on somebody because there there are these comics and there are these late show hosts that literally make me feel like they hate the other side so yeah. much to where they still are promoting this stuff that's happening when you know it's not right. And even when the other side was doing good, they were tearing it down on a nightly basis. And I know for years in the history of Johnny Carson and David Letterman and Jay Leno and da 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 that they always told presidential jokes. Dana Carvey and all the Saturday Night Live crew always did presidential debates. They were hilarious. Right. But I don't remember a time to where these, these stand-up guys, even like Letterman, I didn't know that he was so far that way until the end of his career when he retired 100%. and he started saying shit. Because when he was up there doing his thing, I was like, man, this dude is just a good dude. I used to want to go to the Letterman show yeah. if I visited the city. Now it's like I would have never went to see him when I saw how bad he got of yeah. tearing people down. Is there a difference in just telling a joke about our president or being on that soapbox and being like, you don't deserve gun rights. You need to cut out the Second Amendment. You need to get yeah. rid You know what I'm saying? Okay. So let me say that right there. So so here's the funniest part, oh, right? Cool. So, so you think about it, okay? So think about uh, if you watch Fallon, My- and I got in trouble for that. I'll tell you the story about how I got in trouble for this. So you watch, uh, you watch Fallon Myers, uh, you know uh, what's the the James Corden or whatever, right? Yeah, when when, uh, when Trump was in office, every joke was about Trump, right? Doing that, oh, he's uh, orange, he's fat, uh, whatever, right? And how, how many of them are making fun of Biden now, right? You, it's very few and far between. None yeah. of them made fun of him shaking an imaginary hand, right? No. So that's uh, that's just it's purely hypocritical, dude. 
Nobody addresses it because it's it's basically whatever that person believes now. Because the issue is is the guy that's signing these checks, which we don't know who he is, right? But the guy that owns all these networks, right? The the real person that owns these networks that has an island that's signing these checks. He has a certain way he believes, and that motherfucker's like, "Hey, dude, here's what you're gonna say, and you're gonna say it this way." And I don't care what you believe. Because I remember when Bush was in office, there was tons of jokes about Bush, but it kind of was like a, a, you know, like a fun thing. Yeah. Whereas Trump, they just called him dumb all the time. And I remember when uh, my manager in Los Angeles goes, oh, no way Trump wins. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, look at the polls. I'm like, Bruh, I'm not looking at the polls. I'm looking at the road where I've been, and I've watched these people. I was like, he's probably going to win. He goes, no way, dude. He won't even score like 10% of the votes. <laughs> and it, it, they're so disconnected. So that's where the issue I've had now is where, on, by the way, on both sides, I know comics that are far right that now have their whole career has been come making fun of Joe Biden, which I'm like, dude, you just, is annoying. Yeah, like, annoying. if you want to throw some jokes in, I don't have any Trump jokes or Biden. I don't care, dude. Right. Because if you think that person influences your life that much, where you need to talk about it every day, they're not, if you're letting them influence your life then they are yeah. i'm trying to my whole goal every day i wake up is trying to find the best bottle of bourbon for the best price i can so it's like <laughs> i'm not worried about oh what what if, okay biden he, he voted on whatever tax bill that's not going to affect me anyways it's like yeah sh shit's messed up a lot of times dude like i i don't i can't tell you but with the late night shows they've been particularly bad and the reason i got in trouble i was uh, drunk one night and i was watching myers and fallon and I watched them. It was shitty Trump jokes for the whole, their whole monologue. The whole monologue yeah. was shitty Trump jokes, back to back, right? So I posted a tweet. I go, I just watched the uh, Myers and uh, Fallon monologues. Shitty Trump jokes, 10 minutes. So I'm at Laughing Skull Festival uh, uh, about uh, 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 six months later, and I see the book of this night show. He walks up to me. He goes, you're an idiot. And I was like, good to see you. <laughs> you know, he goes, you're an idiot. He goes, I was like, why? He's like, you can't post this. He screenshot the tweet and shows me. And he goes, you can't post this. I can't book you if you post this. And I go, you weren't booking me anyways, dude. <laughs> You've known me for three years. And then he showed every manager and agent of the festival what I posted and tried to kind of like blackball me a little bit. And I remember I apologized for saying that. And that was the last time I've ever, I felt, so, I was so mad because I'm like, I'm not, I'm not actually sorry. I'm doing this because I'm, I'm, and I was like, oh, oh, I can't, I can't blend in with y'all anymore. Because if y'all are going to sit here and say, because I asked him, I go, are you, are you saying the monologues aren't bad? He goes, no, of course they're bad, but I can't say it. I go, no, bitch, you can't say it. I can say it, though. Y'all don't run me. And it's, it's a weird way of where it's ruined a bunch of people's introduction to comedy, and it has ruined late night TV. Conan yeah. was one of the last ones. Conan hopped in on the Trump bandwagon too and had a couple of dumb jokes, but he would play off of it a little bit. But these motherfuckers now, dude. Oh, it's crazy. Dude, you could if you offered me right now, if you offered me, if you go, all right, Rocky, you can do the Joe Rogan podcast, okay? Or you can do every late night show there is. I would take Joe Rogan in a heartbeat. In I would heartbeat. I would take fucking your pot. Like dude, I would take fucking sitting out in the parking lot smoking <laughs> cigarettes with a homeless guy. They're so useless. They're so, so no useless. one not watches real. them. They're not they're, it, it, you you the issue is right now what people love, they love authenticity. 
They love it. And that show is so fake. It's set up with questions. I met you today. We're talking today. You do not text me any questions. With Fallon, Fallon's like, so, I heard you and your family had a crazy vacation. <laughs> it's so annoying, dude. Grow, you're an I adult. Agree 100%. You're a fucking okay, adult. Okay, so what about the some of the greatest, if not all of the greatest comedians of all time so far, and right. I know that you're going to be there someday, went on Stern. I quit listening to Stern a year ago because of the same shit. Even though he's one of the greatest interviews of all time, uh, and yep. he's had the biggest comedians of all time on there. When he started oppressing what I believed in and always promoting the other side, I was like, why are you doing that? You never used, you used to say stuff like, I believe in the Second Amendment. I'm a gun owner. Yeah. And he said, I voted for Bush at one time. Like, he wouldn't be so staunch of like, Trump, you're, Trump was his good friend. Trump's a dummy. Trump, Trump's this. And then Robin comes in and says, rah, 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 yeah. rah, and I'm just, and then they're like, well, I would vote for Hillary Clinton. And I'm like, what? And okay, look. Hey, then, real quick. Yeah. I don't mean to give, I'm not political. Me neither. I'm not political. Yeah. Okay. But can we just laugh at how bad all my friends in New York and LA just scoot it by the Hillary thing when she murdered everyone? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody. Everybody, dog. Everybody. They skip by. Oh. <laughs> that, that made me laugh. So I was in New York the other day. I saw a friend of mine, and I was like, so whatever happened with Hillary? I'm with her. Hashtag, I'm with her. <laughs> and they were just like, oh, well, you know, the, the reports are, you know, I'm like, no, dude, you're out of your mouth. Yeah, but the, it, yeah, Howard was Howard also was put down podcasting, which was so stupid. Yeah, he, he It's like, like, yeah, dude, you got, you know, $400 million from SiriusXM. No one else did. Why would you put this down? Why are you so, like, they're just so critical. And then they want to push. That's one thing that Rogan. So Rogan definitely leans to the right a little bit. But if you look back at his history, he's had on Bernie. He's had on all these people and had conversations. He's offered to talk to everyone pretty much. And so it's, it's, they go, oh, he's a certain way. He's pushing propaganda. It's like, dude, what do you? Okay, if he's pushing propaganda, why is he not allowed to? Because if I watch any other show, they're pushing the same fucking propaganda, all dude. Of it, all of like John Stewart went on Colbert and absolutely murdered the coronavirus thing where he talked about he's like, if you smell chocolate and you're in Hershey, Pennsylvania, it's the fucking chocolate factory. <laughs> and then and then Colbert, you saw Colbert's face just shrink. They're sh- they're such shields, dude. Oh man. They're, they're, my girlfriend's talked about it. She went to Montreal with me. She saw these people, all these comics, just they were just all like fluttering to try to get some attention. It's the same thing with like they're all fluttering just try to get the ratings, and it just pisses them off that some bald headed dude on steroids quadruples their numbers every second. Every second. Every second. He just beats because he's a mother. He's just a random ass dude, dude. You know, like I I have a hundred and eighty three thousand followers, and I'm I'm like kind of in the middle of a shadow ban. I would have 500,000 followers out that. But I, I have more followers than most of my friends that have followed this way, that have been critical of me at times. They go, you can't say this, Rocky. And I'm like, no, dude, you can, you can do whatever you, you deal with the consequences. Don't get me wrong. I've dealt, I've lost, I lost 60 grand on one joke one time for Amazon. They fired me because of it. But I've always been like, you know what? I've been poor. I ain't got no problem being poor again. And I will work my ass off to get back where I'm from. You meet these the people in this world that'll, that'll tell you like, oh, you got white privilege, right? Your life's been easy. I'm like, dude, my mom used to beat, or my mom used to get beat by my dad. My dad beat my mom all the time. We moved out when I was 10. My mom worked three jobs to put food over our head. I've been working a full-time job since I was 14. I've built hay. I've laid concrete in the middle of summer in Alabama. What have you done? Oh, your life's harder? Because what, oh, what, your family pays your bills? Your dad's a lawyer? Oh, it's tough because you, you, what, you live in a two-bedroom apartment? Kiss my ass, dude. Yeah. Kiss my ass. You, 
it's such an a, a funny way where they just shit on everybody else in the country. We're we're nobodies, you know. That's crazy. And I'm like, those cities you're shitting on, those people will be the first one to help you. Yep. My my Always. grandfather is he racist and everything, but guess his best friend was Sam, the guy that worked on his car, and he would go take his car purposely to Sam to give Sam money, and it's it's. It's such a funny thing where they just shit on us all the time. And it's like, get, first off, the gun thing that we love, it, it, Russia and Ukraine and all that, that stuff going down, and we may get involved or who knows. If they come over here, if they come through, what, Savannah, Georgia, they ain't fucking making it to Atlanta, dude. <laughs> <laughs> making Georgia's hopping up in their fucking F-150s and boot scooting boogieing over. Yeah. They, they're, they're so annoying, dude. They're it's, so it's annoying. It's so annoying to me to see that. And you see the ratings like completely fall out. And, Crash. But, but anybody that could watch that and say, oh, that's funny or that story was good and it wasn't just fabricated shit. I just look at it like the talent that's in that room. And I will give Fallon some credit when the dude raps or does some shit with Timberlake. Like he's got so some funny. bad skills. Skits are great. And, and skits were great on SNL. But now it's almost like how woke do you get? have to be how how much are you willing to sell out for it to completely change right. the fabric of who you are yeah. I've, I've seen guys that are that are just dating somebody from hollywood go get change and oh, I'm just, how are you letting it change who you are and i just don't understand you made a comment about these towns and these cities and these states that would be there to help you and i made a comment at the beginning of this conversation about alabama where you're from like i want to be there i want to be at peace knowing that that is what our communities are like i don't want to live in a world or raise my 11 year old daughter in a world that we have somebody that can get on a soapbox and teach us or brainwash people her 100%. age through a Disney movie or through a, a, oh, a show on Netflix stuff, where I'm yeah. starting to watch. I'm, I hope that you do some stand up stuff on this because I was like, she, she was watching this show that's famous. I'm not going to say any names because I don't want it to come back on me, but I watched it the first episode and I called my ex-wife. I said, never again, no more. Well, what do you mean? I said, just watch the first six minutes in this kitchen scene. And she watched it and she's like, oh my gosh, how did you pick up? I'm like, I'm like, it's so obvious what they're doing. Yeah. These kids. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want that. Now, now, look, if you're a Hollywood producer and you think that that's right because the guy paying the checks on the big island you're talking about is is, is paying you and he's telling you what to say, right. fine. But I still have the choice to tell my daughter, ain't do, I'm not doing it. And that's, look, bro, look at it. What was the number one show on television when it was on? Yellowstone. Yeah. Yellowstone, not not a not a PC show at all. Talks against the vegan thing because that's the vegan thing always cracks me up when they go, "Don't eat meat" or whatever. And I'm like, you realize that with with putting in whatever you know fucking Brussels sprout you want to put in, you're killing all every those insects. Every, every rat. It's world. so stupid. So you're starting to see it. Just it's it's all crumbling within, and it's it's all their whole lifestyle is crumbling, and they hate it. And because I'm very against uh, whatever movement, but I'm not I don't have to like go march or say whatever. I don't have to do anything. I can just be doing what I want to do. And people are just annoyed by it. You know, I just hope that they understand that guys like you or me or Corey right here. When I see Johnny Depp do a movie called The Gunman and then tell me I don't have the rights to the Second Amendment. Oh, that's so stupid. Or I see Amy Poehler. I'll keep saying it. she's got armed guards, but she'll say that you shouldn't <laughs> own a gun. And I'm yeah. like, OK, look, there are people out here that are picking you apart. And you are literally losing frequency and credibility within every walk of life, not because you're not funny, not because you're not a quality actor like right. Johnny Depp is, because you're so messed up in the head or so stoned or whatever your issue is yeah. right now, I'm picking you apart. You're not going to pull this over on right. me. And I've even went as staunch as like when 
I want to see the voting right or the voting or the voting history of somebody like Kevin Costner because I've heard he's against gun uh, the Second Amendment in a lot of ways. And then he's over there making Yellowstone where they're using these peacekeepers, and I'm sitting there going. What in the frick? Are you serious? Like, you're going to tell me as a soapbox Hollywood actor that I can't protect myself with my handgun in my house, but you can go shoot up everybody in the OK Corral and be Val Kilmer in in Tombstone and make that movie and then tell Like, that's the stuff that I want to know. I want them to understand. They probably don't even care. They they don't care. They don't. That's the thing. They, they, They don't give a fuck. They don't care. And they're just trying, a lot of them, to collect a check on whatever they got. And I, I don't, the one thing I don't, I don't ever do, if I don't like something, uh, I don't like, uh, I don't agree with a certain person's politics. I don't ever let it influence my life in the sense of like their movies. Like, like Val Kilmer could do whatever he wanted to. In Tombstone, Val Kilmer's God. That's oh, one God. of the best roles of all time. Of right? all time. So, and Kevin Cosby's the same way. So I'm still going to watch it and enjoy it. It's just annoying because I'm like, my, I had, a, I had a, a joke. I was trying to write a little bit about it. I, I was like, I was like, you know, everyone talks about, you know, calling back guns and doing this and doing that. And I was like, I was like, you realize the people that have guns are rednecks. And I was like, rednecks aren't doing mass shootings. I was like, the only people rednecks kill with guns are other rednecks. <laughs> and I was like, for sleeping with our wife or something. I was like, <laughs> I was like, we're kind of keeping our population down on our own. We don't need your help, you know. Like yeah. you hate us so much, let us give us more guns. You yeah. know, it's it's such a stupid thing where they they don't realize until you look at like the list of people that sell the most tickets in the country. You look at all that stuff. And think about Jeff Foxworthy. That guy still does arenas. Think about Larry the Cable Guy. Still does arenas to this day. And so does Ron. I think Ron, he just retired. I think he's retiring now. No, nah, he's sad. Uh, we'll see about that. Uh, I hope but he it's doesn't. so it's you look at that guy. The dude's been doing comedy for forty fucking years. It's and then you look at the people that you know these popular people that just died out. And where do people go when they leave? Like when they retire from the industry, they don't sit in L.A. They go somewhere in the country where it's safe. You know, I'm going to say this to end this because I know you got to go. Uh, but I listen to me. You are a badass, and I want to do this again, please. This is great, dude. You are the freaking. I want to do a video of us hunting one day. Dude, I want to plan on it this fall. I'm so bad at it. I'm so I've never been. I've been hunting one time, and I'm so bad at it. I'm such a diva. But I want to go and just plan record it. it, and then we're going to cook together. Like a, ah, yeah. Hey, I'm right before cook. right before you got here in that kitchen right there. Corey went and filmed a wild turkey hunt for us on this farm right over here. Yeah. Killed a wild turkey this morning. Come over here. We skinned it. We used some of my dry rubs and we, and we fried it in that kitchen right there and just ate it. Was it unbelievable? So I'm going to say this in this conversation from your home state. I was just there with 250,000 people from around this country that would be considered redneck or NASCAR fans or country boys. Okay. Yeah. I was on Talladega Boulevard for three nights in a row with the most mischievous shit I've ever seen going down besides Burning Man in my home state in Nevada. I've been to Burning Man. I'm like, Oh my God, that really happens. <laughs> I watched every campsite. I watched cases of beer being devoured by rednecks. Amen. So-called quote unquote rednecks. Yeah. Let me tell you what I didn't see Rocky Del Davis. I didn't even see an argument, let alone a fist fight nope. or a mass shooting. And I want people to understand that that is what our communities are supposed to be like. If you want to see how something is supposed to be taken out with precision, go watch these love these loving people interact with each other and walk into my camp and say, hey, y'all, we, we didn't eat all of our free. This lady brought over a chocolate brownie covered cake I, I, and I shouldn't be eating sugar. I'm like. You don't even know who we are. She's like, I just want y'all to know we're done with it. We'd love you to have it. We love your group. Your music's awesome. You guys are hilarious. Thank you. And boom. And I'm like, oh my God, 
why can't this be the measuring device that we build our communities and base our families on? Those people down there should never be made fun of, except they're by you on stage yeah, yeah. in a fun-loving way. They should never be brought down to where they've been brought down or said that they can't be who they are. And I'm sitting there going, not one argument, let alone a fist fight. And not let, one. And let me tag that. So you put, let's say, uh, one of those people has a trans friend, black friend, gay friend, Mexican, whatever you want to do. I go up to that trans person and call them a, a slur with that friends around. Yeah. They will beat the shit out of you. That's your friends. Everyone here in the South, we, if you're our friend, you're our friend. I don't give a shit where your background is. I don't give a fuck what parts you have. You're a person. If you're a person to me, I'm a person to you. Rocky Dell Davis, this life hey, for baby. everybody. Hey, tell me real quick, the specials win? Uh, May 1st on YouTube. So it's dropping May 1st on YouTube, and we're expecting some good results out of it. It's very good. Name of it? Uh, it's just live in Cincinnati, Rocky Dell Davis, on my YouTube channel, completely for free, people. RockyDellDavis.com, tour dates, merch. Uh, yeah, just go to my Instagram or go just to go my to YouTube. Instagram. Yeah, don't worry about the, the website's acting weird right now. All right, I want you to try to come up with a joke about yours truly on the next stand-up special. I do. I want, we'll work I something out. We got to do something. Yeah. You the man, Rocky Del Davis. Thank you all for listening to This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Um, let me ask you this going out of this podcast right now. Um, publishing and country music, I always get permission. Can I use like a little bit of one of your stand-up clips to go out and come into this podcast? I'll give it to you. All yeah. Right. This is going to be Rocky Del Davis talking about something freaking hilarious. Thank you all so much. If I asked five of y'all in this room how a four-way stop works, three of y'all would say you go whenever you want. No, you don't. <laughs> it's, it's not a question mark, okay? You stop when it's your turn, you go. And I don't need the people, though, that wave through, like... Like, you're telling me how this thing, like, it's my first day here, you know? You're good, you're good. No, I'm not. I'm three, they're two, they're one, you're four. I don't know why the fuck your hand's up right now, dude. You're not in the equation. When, some, when someone stops and then they go and someone speeds up to go with them that hadn't stopped, <laughs> dude, I'll follow you home, I'll kill your dog, okay? Like... I will be in the front yard with your poodle like, you know what you did, bitch. You know what you did, dude.